Thanks, Mike, for finally letting me tour the Cage Club Podcast Network studios. No problem, Brian. But hey, could you not tell Joey? He hates it when you mess around with his stuff. Is that every Nick Cage movie ever? Yup. From Fast Times to Massive Talent, this network is pretty much the house that Nicky Coppola built. Hey, what about over there? Where do those stairs go? Yeah, this is Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar, a podcast where we break down the films of Francis Ford Coppola, cut by cut. And this is a Cage Club Podcast Network production. Who was that? Are you one of, like, Clemenza's guys or one of Tessio's <laughs> yeah. guys, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm one of the new recruits that uh, has to go to the mattresses, you know. So uh, I'm just I'm an up-and-coming wise guy. Maybe a little Fredo in there, too, Mike. Oh, no. I love Fredo. Buonasera, have a seat, have a glass, and welcome to Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar. I'm Brian Rodriguez, but where's Michael? We're not starting the podcast without Michael. <laughs> and I'm Mike Manzi. Mike, this is part two. This is a confusing episode title, right? I still don't know what I'm going to name it, but it's The Godfather Part 1, Part 2 for us. <laughs> well, oh, how about this? The Godfather Part 1. Episode two. Yeah, okay. I guess that's easier. That's why you're the Something veteran like that, podcaster maybe? and I'm just a novice. Oh, yeah. I'm just pulling uh, tons of tricks out of my big-ass bag here. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah. This is uh, episode two of yep. our Godfather episode. It's such an important movie in the career of Francis Ford Coppola. And in the world, let's be honest, in the history of film, it's so important that it took us two episodes to do it. Also, Mike, you admitted... You were getting a little tired last time. Yes. Yeah, you know, I think I kind of ran out of steam. I was doing a little too much last week, too many podcasts scheduled, but I'm full of caffeine tonight. Lots of coffee, lots of Sprite. I haven't cracked open the wine or anything like that, Brian, yet. Forgive me. I know <laughs> this might become a running it might become a running gag. I may never open the wine. That's what you're going to have to keep tuning in for. So. I hope you open the wine at some point. By the way, this wine I'm drinking, cheating on Francis a little. This is just my leftover dinner wine. I'll open my, my Francis Ford Coppola <laughs> glass soon. I just wanted to finish it. I didn't want it to go to waste, you know? This is just a funny sort of Uncle Francis wine thing in, I think, Rushmore. There's the dinner scene, you know, the OR joke yeah. with the scrubs. And there's a, I believe there there's a display of Uncle Francis's wine there or something because Jason Schwartzman is in the film. Uh, I'm not mistaken. So there's, I think that's going on. Oh. I don't know. I'll double check next time I watch Rushmore. But uh, we might have to have sort of a bonus episode of sort of like all of the extra places Uncle Francis's wine has showed up in movies and such. Absolutely. If it's shown up somewhere, we have to talk about it. And by the way, when I was setting up kind of the spreadsheet for the future episodes, I made a rule without you, Mike, but I know you'll agree, right? If we're going to take, okay. a, as the Too Fast, Too Forever friends call it, pit stops here, we need a better wording for that, right? They're not pit stops. Okay, okay. We have some ideas. You mentioned uh, the freshman off air. You mentioned some other cool stuff. You know, maybe we'll do books. Maybe we'll do games, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, now, hear me out because I don't want to freak you out <laughs> because it's a lot. We're a podcast. I have to hear you out. <laughs> well, I could see you. We record. We watch each other too, which is nice. But yeah, of course I hear you out. I think we should cover the nephews and nieces of Francis Ford Coppola. But wait, we're not going to do the Cage movies again. Only as filmmakers, right? So if they wrote mm. or directed something, like Sophia. But there's like, yeah, it's other relatives. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. He's got Roman, Roman, you know, other kids. But Cage, the Cage one we'll cover is he directed one movie, right, Cage? Sonny. Yeah, Sonny with, um, what's his name? The Green, Son of the Green Goblin. Franco. James Franco. (laughs) Son of the Green Goblin. (laughs) Sorry, that's my go-to Franco (laughs) reference. He was the second Green Goblin. (laughs) Little Harry Osborn. (laughs) That little freaking geek. Yeah, so on this journey of of talking the film, pulling out the vintages of Francis Ford Coppola, we might uh, look at some younger vintages and look at what sure. the nephews and nieces are up to. So I'm thinking of doing that. That'll yeah. be fun down the road. But before we do any of that, we got to get the core movies in so that we can cover the other cuts in. We got a lot of work to do. Right. No, I'm here for it. That's all I was going to say. There's a lot of work to do, but I got my sleeves rolled up and I'm ready to get damn down and dirty and we're gonna get really dirty at some point and i can't wait for captain eo (laughs) (laughs) so we've kind of name dropped a couple other podcasts today so i always say and you always say mike we always say on uncle francis's wine cellar keep your friends close and your fellow podcasters closer so please support the podcast by well listening that's one and you're already here but but, but two, hitting that subscribe button. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Another great way you could support the show is by telling a friend. You know someone in your family. Your, your, your family, you know. You know someone in your family loves the movies of Uncle Francis. You know someone loves The Godfather. Tell them about this podcast. We need the support. We're a fledgling podcast, but we hope to grow to the level of some of your other podcasts, Mike, like your, your Elvis podcast and, and the monsters that made us. <laughs> We're not quite there, but that's where we want to be. It's funny how like I don't track any of that stuff, and yet one day I wake up and suddenly I'm on like these big shows, I guess, and <laughs> everyone else is so like telling me about it, and um, it's great. Yeah, uh, I hope we, you know, I feel like this show's got legs, man. Like we're young. But we're here for a while, so please stick around. We're going to get better. I hope you meant, Mike, legs in a wine term. I hope you were using a pun. You see that on the glass? That's legs. Oh, I was not. I don't. There you go. That's cool. I'm learning. <laughs> hey, I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not a big wine guy. That's my brother. Uh, but it's cool to know that. Yeah. I hope your brother listens or, or if we put this on YouTube, watches at least a little because he, he's your brother, Mike. He, he's... <laughs> Hey, it's funny. There's a there's a Tom Hayden in this movie. I've got a brother Tom, so uh, you know I didn't. We didn't find him in the street. (laughs) He came first. And you know what I found in the street, Mike? I'm glad you bring that up. Hmm. This cute little thing, this kitty right here. I found him in an alley. Oh my! (laughs) In the back. In the back alley, just like Marlon Brando did. For the Godfather. And yes, it looks like a stuffed animal, but it's a real cat. And I'll be petting him <laughs> occasionally during the episode. Very nice. I like it. We're involving props now. <laughs> I got to stock up on watermelons. Watermelons? I should actually, actually, you know, well, I was thinking Gallagher, but like even more thematically, it could just get like a bowl of oranges. Uh-huh. Easiest prop you could have had, Mike. Easiest prop. The bowl of oranges. Well, we're getting there. <laughs> so let's talk oranges, Mike. We didn't get to it last time. Um, we were kind of all over, over the place. Not in a bad way. There's just a lot to talk about for this film. But oranges, if you, if you go to film school, like like film class 101, and they teach you The Godfather, they're like, oh, look for the oranges. Every time you see an orange, it, it symbolizes death. And there's been a lot of lore about that in this film, because if you talk to anyone who made the film, 
They're like, we didn't intend to do that. It just kind of happened. And then you talk to some other people. They're like, yeah, we put it in one scene. It looked great because of the Gordon Willis's palette is so dark that to have a bright orange in there is awesome. That eventually they added it for the death scenes, but now it's like almost legend. Like you see an orange, shit's gonna go down in the Godfather universe. Yeah, happy accident. You know, I think that's what they call it. You know, obviously you can read symbolism into films that were never intended. That doesn't mean you're wrong. And it doesn't mean the filmmakers wrong or right. You know, everybody has their own interpretation of the art, which is great. And The Godfather has so, you know, you could be like, it's about the film industry or whatever, you know, like it's about this, it's about that. Like you could probably equate it. Yeah, you could probably, uh, you know, write a paper equating The Godfather to like anything and uh, be right. So this whole business about the oranges, I like it because it's like something that you kind of, hope to happen when you're making a movie is like yeah there's a deeper more symbolic meaning to it that originally we didn't intend and just kind of stumbled on and has now become like lore about the making of i like it too how it you know originally i thought of the orange as just like you said like something that complements the palette because everything is already so sort of like sepia tone Mm -hmm. already you know you don't want to throw an apple in there because the red would just kind of hit too hard or something but like having orange is is a nice addition to all that too but they do things with fish as well Mm. in the movie you know because that is very symbolic too meaning death i think that has a deeper meaning of death but like when luca brazzi goes to visit the turk for the first time there's like these big fish on the glass pane doors of the bar that he goes to and stuff so it's foreshadowing uh, the delivery of the fish of his death and all that and that's why the movie's so great you know, because you can you can focus and pick out things and expound upon it all day long. Oh, for sure. And that's, again, it has such great rewatchability. So I am ready to open my Coppola wine for the day. And between our recordings, wow. I went to my brother's wedding. So I was at a wedding. Oh, salute. Yes, congratulations to my brother Jonathan and his wife i was gonna say fiance but like no that's what the wedding does uh his wife Kristen. they had a beautiful wedding and guess what it was at a vineyard not francis's vineyard but i was thinking about francis a lot at that wedding i know i shouldn't have but but i was thinking about it regardless (laughs) i partied a lot i danced a lot i drank a lot drank a lot of red wine so today i'm switching despite my dinner wine being red today i'm switching to white wine francis ford coppola pinot grigio a nice italian wine here but it's a chilled white wine. I don't have to decant it. Twist off. That makes it easier. That looks nice. I, I wasn't aware Uncle Francis was dipping into every variety oh, possible. Every variety. Mixes, you know, blends. And I am going to use my <laughs> New York Mets wine tumbler. All right. Yeah, I don't know if it's any secret that we here at the Uncle Francis wine cellar are. Fans of the Mets. <laughs> yes, we are. And there's really no connection, I don't think, in any Coppola movie to the Mets. No, but, not really. Yeah. It's just, just just New York, right? I guess. Like, I guess, but again, he's... The Godfather takes place in New York. He's from Michigan, um, which people forget, but that's where the Ford comes from. Oh, wow. From Ford cars? Yeah, like Henry Ford. By the way, we need to figure this huh. out because I feel like a schmuck, to be honest with you. People are telling me the family pronounces it Coppola. Is that how you pronounce? Well, clearly not. We haven't been saying that. I mean, I've been told that that is a proper pronunciation, but the man calls himself Coppola. So, Does he? I, okay. you know, I, that's what I, I mean, 
right? Doesn't I mean I don't know. I never heard himself say hello. My name is Francis Ford Coppola. Right? You know, yeah, so, so I have to figure it out. I have to keep my ear out for when we listen to the audio commentary how he introduces himself. But I mean, at this point, it's either way. It's Constantine, Constantine. <laughs> well, <laughs> salute, Mike. Salute. Let's talk the film. Oh, oh, no, no, no. I forgot this last time. And we have to talk about this this time. Oh, my goodness. We probably should get a sound effect for this or something, but... Is this is this more movie news? More movie casting news. or what? Megalopolis update. Da-da-da-da. Oh no! Yeah, we do need a noise for this. You know, like a fanfare, like da 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 da. I think the most amazing thing about the show, and there's a lot of amazing things. There is now a more realistic chance than there has been in years that we might actually get to like watch the theater and report live on a Francis Ford Coppola <laughs> project. And that is, of course, yes. the wh- – wh- what do you want to say about this movie? The rumored for years, the epic project, the, the uh, Megalopolis. Yeah, his his magnum opus, you know, uh, <laughs> right? Yeah, like we all thought that? he already made that. How do you say that with like the Godfather and Apocalypse Now? We don't know, right? It- exactly. We don't know. But I mean, this is, uh, according to him, the movie he's wanted to make – his entire career okay and and here we are at the end of his career and he's determined as hell to get it done and and it just seems like everybody in movies is going to be in it at this point you know it's like every week or every couple of days like somebody new is announced and it's like god damn it's almost like when you hear someone new is in the mcu you're like who isn't in this movie yet you know it's like it reminds me of when knives out was announced and the cast just kept going on and everyone in twitter is like oh and i'm in that movie too <laughs> by the way like everybody is in this movie and i can't wait and now there's a lot of rumors but the confirmed cast is even amazing we might report on rumors here and there but in the last couple of weeks a lot of cool people have been mentioned as officially part of the movie i'm going to go to the imdb page to like confirm okay. who's in it, who they have confirmed who's in it. Because if you Google it, okay. there's so many more people that are rumored to be in it. Pretty much every name in Hollywood ever. And that's impossible. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. It's like when we used to read um, in, in Cage Club, Joe used to be like, here are all the other people who are up for this role for Con Air. And it's like everybody yeah. who was in action, you know, Stallone, Schwarzenegger, like, uh, you know, all the regulars. So yeah, everybody is rumored to be in it, but. I'd like to know who's actually in it. Okay, so I'm on IMDb, and I'm going to read the people sort of in their casting order, sort of like when it was announced. So Jason Schwartzman is apparently in it, and Talia Shire, obviously in the family. Mm -hmm. Uh, James Remar, Forrest Whitaker, two actors I love. Nice. But like, you know, in 2022. Yeah, nobody knows James Remar, but like we do from like the Warriors. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Also Fast Nection there. Forrest Whitaker, Oscar winner. Fast Nection. Lawrence Fishburne. John Voight, but recently the people who were uh, like announced and confirmed were Adam Driver, who is in everything and is awesome, yeah. right? Aubrey Plaza and Natalie Emanuel are supposedly, you know, the stars, which like the stars of stars, which should be interesting, right? Uh, and that was announced a couple weeks ago, but just either today or yesterday, yeah. an interesting name popped up, and that's uh, someone you've covered on, I would say, one of your more obscure Cage Club podcast network. Uh, podcast definitely uh, all his movies definitely. and that's uh what do you say his name like why don't you let us know Shia LaBeouf Shia, Shia LaBeouf Shia is gonna be in the movie what is this movie about what is it gonna be I don't know what I'm excited it's, 
fresh off of other Shia controversy, so uh, reportedly either quit or was removed from the Olivia Wilde film for, you know, I don't know, being allegedly dangerous or considered like unhealthy on set, uh, according to reports. And there's two sides to that story flying around the internet. I don't know what's going on. And then the next day it drops that he gets cast in this movie. Like what in the world is happening out there? This movie is just going to either be like a gigantic shit show or I'm hoping the most amazing movie ever made. So I'm, I'm afraid it's going to be incoherent, but glorious, <laughs> you know, it's going to be like this really weird futuristic, but like, throwback i envision like a future noir kind of just mess and i can't wait for it mike you know the first show on this podcast network the cage club podcast network that i ever did was p.s i love hoffman which is philip hoffman show and one of in my opinion his best movies schenectady new york yes where he just gets a which a grant in the film and he just ends up building his own city within a city and it's like a play within a play within a play and it's so complex and it's so crazy like that's what i picture this movie uh, it, as. have you have you watched the new nathan fielder show the rehearsal like it's a lot like that as well and that's what i pictured too almost just like this chaotic snake eating its own tail either that or maybe some kind of like richard kelly like southland tales debacle you know where it's like <laughs> everything you wanted to do but it it's indecipherable but it's fucking awesome you know it cannot surpass the godfather or apocalypse now like that would be insane right but you know what here's another little tangent on what this movie could be what if it's like bill and ted what if it's the movie that just like unites all movies and oh like the song they write at the end of the yeah the movie to well, that would be something, wouldn't it? Like, if it's just the last movie ever made and the world is like, we're done, we're wrapping it up. Like, forget it. Mike, you love the movies, I love the movies. But as a podcaster, if it's the last movie ever made and I could just catch up on my shows, I'd be okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if uh, the MCU is going to be having it. They just announced, like, the next nine years of their plan. So, anyway. Yes. No, but like in all in all seriousness, like I am very much looking forward to seeing what he's got. You know, like his career is so interesting, varied, and he always just tries to climb the highest mountains and you know shoot the most elusive shot and stuff. So like I'm really looking forward to seeing whatever it is. It's interesting because like I see this show in your portfolio and the Cage Club Podcast Network's portfolio more as something closer to, again, your show, The Monsters That Made Us, than things that cover more modern stuff, or even like an actor, right? Yeah. It just feels more like classic. But to me, it's almost like, I know Universal did make more modern (laughs) monster films, but it's kind of like that, right? Like, you know? Yeah. But imagine if it, like, they were making monster films with, like, Lon Chaney and, and Karloff, like, now. Like, one came out today. You know, it feels so crazy that today we are talking about The Godfather and the person who made that way back when is making a new film that people are talking about. No, I understand what you're saying. It's just, it's, you know, what's weird about it is that we have guys of his elk that never stopped making movies, like Spielberg. Or Scorsese. Guy, you know? Or Scorsese, exactly, you know, or Jonathan Demme and, 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 and everybody out there. So so it's a little harder to, like, 
quantify that in the same way, but it is still fun to think about. You know, it's it, to me, it's thinking it's to me, it's like, what if they invited George Lucas to direct an episode of the Mandalorian? Like, it's almost like that, you know, or like invite George Lucas to come do like another star Wars movie. Well, you're going to die on the hill, aren't you? No, but I'm just saying like in, in that same way, it's like, well, Coppola, He's kind of like no one. No one's going to invest in him. He's pretty much done. Like he had a quiet retirement for the most part. Hollywood forgot about him, and he's like, "But I've never stopped. You know, I've got one more movie in me." And it it is kind of fun in that regard to be like, "Yeah, we don't have William Freakin anymore." Like they're all sort of dropping. You know, he could go at any minute. So I really just anything he wants to get out. I'm anxious to see how it comes out. And Mike, I think you hit on a really good point with this too. When you bring up uh, Spielberg, Scorsese. They never stop making movies. You're right. And it doesn't make their work less special, but let's be honest, it kind of does. And Because we're a little bit spoiled. I don't want to bring it back to the Mets, but <laughs> Jacob deGrom, best pitcher in the world. I was at the game last <laughs> night, saw him pitch. Fun game. He's Great so game. good at this point. And he strikes out so many batters that you just expect him to get to two strikes. And other pitchers, when they pitch, everyone stands up, everyone's clapping. But DeGrom, it's not that people are not clapping or not ex- excited. It's just that, oh, another DeGrom strikeout. So I think the Scorsese fans, the Spielberg fans, probably have taken his later work for granted, you know, because there's so much of it. And maybe in 100 years, they'll look at some of the later films with different eyes than we look at. But with Francis, he legitimately, yes, he made some duds. We'll get to them. But he legitimately said after a while, I'm just going to make what I want to make. I don't care how much money I make at the box office. I just want to do stuff. And if it's experimental, fine. I've earned that, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's a film. I don't know if you've read about this. There's a film that, like, it's an ongoing experimental film project that's only, I think you could only see it, or you could have only seen it at a university at one point. That's, like, it, it's apparently a project he has that will, like, never finish. You know, like, I, I, huh. I don't know what it is, but you know what I mean? Like, like boyhood, but no, but not even like a beginning and end. Like, that. it's just like so experimental that again, I, yeah. I can't concept it, but Coppola went from making blockbusters to doing weird ass shit. Right. And, and to get like another right, right. potential blockbuster, that's probably weird ass shit too. I'm excited. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. I'm excited because he's always embraced the new technology. I remember when digital happened, he started making small films again and all that. And like, he's always been very hip about technology. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he does with that. You know, though, like we've, we've been talking about Scorsese and such and this and that, like, you know, he finally got to make his dream project, the Irishman. Right. And like, uh, I don't think it turned out the way most of us wanted it to turn out. I'll just say that, you know? So like, that was a case of, I hope that doesn't happen. I, you know, I hope it just doesn't become like the Irishman in my eyes, which is just a bunch of guys driving around smoking cigarettes for three hours, <laughs> looking, looking, looking weird uh, in different time zones with their weird faces and stuff. Like, I, I, you know, I just hope it has a great sort of like theme to it. That's all I'm looking for with him. You know, I don't even need a, a coherent story or plot. Just as long as the themes are strong in this movie coming out, I'll be happy. And Mike too, like on that point, like not to diss Scorsese because I love Scorsese. This could have easily been a Scorsese podcast. Yeah. yeah. But the Irishman feels like a lot of his mainstream stuff. I know it's a dream project of his or it was a dream project of his. It still felt like it belonged 
in the Scorsese catalog. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Megalopolis, at least on this glance, doesn't feel like it's going to be like The Godfather. Maybe closer to Apocalypse Now, but Francis doesn't feel like a guy who makes mafia movies. Francis doesn't feel like a guy who makes genre pictures. He feels like a weird dude who wants to finally show us what's really going on in his brain. Yeah, yeah. I think all along these guys, you know, him, I mean, him and Lucas especially, I think, have always been more of the experimental type. You look at THX 1138 and it's like, this guy is from another universe like who makes like who what is this you know like who interprets the world in this way it's so bizarre but it's amazing uh and coppola again like it's sort of masked under the mainstream with like because apocalypse now is super psychedelic you know there's imagery in there that is just trippy and Mm -hmm. like how do you come up with that shit uh and so I think all along they've sort of fooled everybody and like a lot of these filmmakers from that era, you know, I think of like Dennis Hopper as well, you know, just subverting the mainstream by trying to inject as much of that just like sort of pure artistry into their projects as possible. I can't wait till we get to one from the heart because I feel like that might be as close as Coppola was able to get with exactly what he was wanting to do Mm. you know like setting setting out to do something and and executing it exactly the way he sort of foresaw it uh because when we watch the hearts of darkness we'll see there uh during you know (laughs) basically went through a massive mental breakdown making that movie and you know it's like nothing worked out the way he wanted to even though it's still a masterpiece so yeah again like i hope it's weird as shit and i also just hope it's coherent enough that we could have like a meaningful discussion about it after we see it you know i just don't want to sit here going like what (laughs) (laughs) just one thing i want to mention quickly mike if i were to say like coppola obviously a dream project for us to cover i think if there was another director that i would love to cover that we could actually do front to back it would be kubrick right like kubrick that catalog oh yeah yeah, so interesting and so cool and i i think about Kubrick a lot when I watch Coppola. Not with the cuts thing, because they're the opposite with that. You know what I mean? Right. right. <laughs> but in, ter- in yeah. terms of um, the catalog and the vision and who the person is and what they want to show, I love talking to these great filmmakers as much as I love talking to the B-movies yeah. we talk on our other shows, you know? so. <laughs> oh, man, I'd love to do Kubrick. To me, he's the his movies, they just crack me up, like, beyond anything i like they're the funniest movies i've ever seen in my life and they're also just like the most dramatic movies i've ever seen in my life somehow uh but yeah no i could see that parallel though because francis has a very strange sense of humor too Mm -hmm. you know i don't quite laugh as much in his films but there's a lot of oddity about like oh that's an interesting sort of character um like trait for that guy to have or like oh that's a weird way for this like thing to be going you know so it's interesting how he's constantly like trying to like twist and turn your expectations throughout character is a great way to put it right like they're both amazing at depicting characters on screen and the godfather is there a better movie of just like a character is like there are cults (laughs) cults somewhere in this world based on minor characters in the godfather and that's what i love about this film and this series update on the paramount plus situation we are recording oh oh, yes yes we are recording in september so 
I, I wanted to record second episode in September just to see where the Godfather went. Once September 1st rolled around, it was really hard to find. As we reported on last episode, I noticed that it was yeah. leaving Paramount Plus, which if you watch the offer, made no sense. Why would it leave Paramount Plus? It's a Paramount property. We thought they would make more EP Godfather spinoffs there. Um, I talked to some people in the know. We won't say who, but some people in the know who know about this kind of stuff in streaming services. And multiple people, actually. And they told me, basically, many, many streaming services now are just trying to monetize, right? Phase one in the streaming service wars was get as much content as you can and just hopefully people sign up. Phase two is streamline it and monetize it. If you see what they're doing at HBO. They're actually taking properties off that they own because it costs them more yeah. money to just host stuff that nobody's watching, right? Amazing. So that's not The Godfather, obviously, right? Like that's that's completely different. People watch The Godfather. And with the offer, you think they would have promoted it. However, The Godfather is a super valuable property to sell. Yes. I'm not sure if they had this deal before the offer or before they launched Paramount Plus or it's something they cut recently. But if you don't want to pay for the rental, and of course, you and I own a million DVD copies, but theoretically, if you want to stream it, it is currently on Showtime for the time being. So if you have Showtime or Showtime Anytime or whatever their, their streaming service is, that's where you can find it. But you know what? Guess who owns Showtime? Paramount? CBS left Paramount. Oh, H- oh yeah. So what? <laughs> they just sold it to themselves? My guess, honestly, is that they put it on Showtime to try – because Showtime is not included with the Paramount+. Plus. That's a separate thing. Ah. So I'm guessing they put it on there to try to get people to – subscribe to showtime you know like maybe it was like an internal Weird. thing like hey if we get showtime subscriptions up something will happen i don't know i don't work in their corporate offices obviously so it is technically still within the family but on a higher tier does that make sense that's weird yeah it makes sense it's just weird how they're shuffling it around like that but interesting you know this whole streaming service thing everyone thought it was figured out in the early years and now we're coming to find out that there's all kinds of problems arising from it you know whether it be the hbo debacle or stuff like this just companies realizing they can make more money without a certain movie on their app like it's so bizarre but here we are so i just have to say you know apropos of nothing really except that uh, i can see it is a great shirt tonight it looks very familiar louis italian american restaurant yes louis italian american restaurant in the bronx we're going to talk about it today. Very important to the scenes we talk about. We often talk about the first time we watched The Godfather here. For me, again, my mom bought a DVD. I watched it alone. Second time I watched it with my uncle and it was like back to back and it was great both times. Um, some of the scenes we talk about today are what I really, really, really really remember from this film always <laughs> i could recount line for line word for word and we had broken up the godfather sort of in parts in the first episode yes. and i continue to do that here so in my outline yeah this is the meat of the film i call it part three the turk nice yeah you know part one and two what we talked about in the last episode you know 
there was the wedding and then there was uh Khartoum, right mm -hmm. like those are the two big things but nothing really like that is just like first gear still compared to what we're gonna start dealing with like yeah the rest of this movie is just lit you know Holy great lines shit. amazing action incredible drama beautiful camera work like amazing lines you know there's like so many funny fucking lines in this i don't know i, I wish we had more of puzo and coppola writing together in the offer because after seeing that you can feel that after watching the movie you know it feels like two guys just talking it out and and like saying this shit back and forth and like playing the actors or something like it was so much fun so much fun and it's so great and i actually watched it again between watches you know what i did so i was working and i just was listening to it in my headphones at work Ooh, interesting this is a movie you could listen to <laughs> like that's how good it is it's almost a narrative yeah. podcast yes the visuals are amazing but if you already know the visuals in your head if you listen to it oh so good so good Wow, that's a good concept. Film on tape. I think in that book, Save the Cat, that guy talks about doing that, you know, record back in the day, like your favorite movies and listen to them as you walk around and try and see if they work without visuals and you can get the rhythm of the of the beat of everything like that. So that's cool. I want to start doing that more. It's like film on tape. Well, it's easy for me because I take the subway, you know, and I'm you know working in an office. I can't exactly put on the Godfather in the background. I think that would be a little negligent. But uh, but I, I do that from time to time. If I've seen a movie for the podcast and I just want to kind of see it again and I use air quotes, I might just listen to it on my commute or, or, or just watch it casually or listen to it while I'm doing some work or even listen to it while I'm editing, which is a little bit harder because I'm distracted. But and then, you, you know, you really get into the dialogue that way and you really do get into the story. You don't miss much. I'm sure you would miss much in like a war film, you know, which is like guns, yeah. but not a film like this. Um, so part three, the Turk. I have to say, Salazzo, the Turk, this character. Yeah. Maybe the most underrated film character of all time. Really? Of all time? Of all time. I mean... This is one of the greatest films of all time, if not the greatest. That's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, this time around, I definitely felt like he was way more dangerous, like he was way more threatening. I just always came to this film thinking nothing could touch the Corleones. You're like, they're the scariest. And then this guy shows up. And for some reason, this time I'm like, no, like he's a new baddie. Like he's the new guy in town. And like, he's kind of not to be fucked with. You know, he talks about the prison time and all of this. And they're growing the fields and they're getting into narcotics and narcotics is the future. The Don is very scared of getting into drugs and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so it's a very strong conflict between the two. You know, you have the old guard at the Corleone doing business the way they did it. And then here come the new guys and like drugs are the wave of the future. And they're not wrong. You they're know? not wrong, especially think about when this movie comes out and when the book comes out. The 70s. Drugs yeah. are rampant yeah. in the inner cities, you know. And a lot of it is because of, you know, mafia involvement. So this is like showing the origins of that one but to, i want to backtrack a little on the turk i'm obsessed with this guy now yep 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 yep. i'm gonna say the stupidest thing that i'm ever gonna say in this podcast imagine these movies as marvel films we're in the mcu right and i know that it doesn't play out the same way that it should but the turk is a high level awesome 
Marvel villain that just happens not to get into the robotic suit at the end, you know, or happens not to, <laughs> to be an alien the entire time. You know what I mean? Like, he, well, well, like he, it would be like, okay. Um, I don't know if like Obadiah Stane gets taken out by the 10 rings instead of facing off against Tony Stark or something. Right. Because yeah. he doesn't last that yeah. long. Like the, the Turk, you know, he's only, he's only here for a very small period, but he does a lot of damage and he leaves like a tremendous sort of shadow in his wake after he's gone. You know, um, he's the catalyst basically for everything that's going to end this family and have to, you know, reforge it in the aftermath. Well, you know, why I say he's underrated? The Godfather culture is amazing. Godfather, like, merchandise is amazing. Uh, as you mentioned, Mike, my shirt, right? We're going to talk about it for, from the restaurant, right? Like, you could pick it out when you saw it, right? When you approach someone on the street and you say, The Godfather, you have you seen it? Yeah. Name me 10 things about The Godfather. No one mentions the Turk. Even more importantly, <laughs> does anyone know who played this guy? Does anyone ever mention this performance? It's a rock star performance. He's amazing to me. And no one knows this guy's name. I had to look it up. His name is Al Lettieri. Yeah, Al Lettieri. He's been in a he's a big kind of not a big, but I'd say he's like a character actor really in the six, in the seventies and in a lot of different types of films. I've seen him around, you know, but never anything as commanding as this moment on screen you're absolutely right he's like the devil he's basically like plays the devil like i would think that Vito was the devil uh you know but like in comes this guy and he's like a pure demon and this is where the, the puzo and coppola writing is amazing exactly what you're saying like Vito is the devil he's on paper the bad guy but the juxtaposition between Vito Colion's morals and that he has a code and uh salazzo who just like i'm a businessman you know it's all about making money for him, and he'll kill anyone for it. It's not him. personal, Mike, right? It's business. It's not personal. That's the line. That's a huge line from this movie. The only other place I've seen this guy, the only other movie I've seen him in, is uh, the Steve McQueen, The Getaway, which, you know, we've yeah. talked about on this podcast. Because I mean, I, I've, see, I've seen a bunch of this stuff, Mr. Majestic and McHugh. And, I haven't seen that stuff. Yeah. The Hanged Man, yeah, a couple things. I didn't realize that Dylan. he died at 47 in the 70s, essentially on the up and up. In 1975, he died. Wow, that's crazy because, like I said, I feel like I've seen – I feel that he feels like he was a character actor, but he couldn't have been because he wasn't around long enough, really. It was just sort of getting his legs wet or however that phrase is and everything, but – Whatever he was in, he was good in. Oh, so good. So let's talk about this chapter, The Turk. You already sort of introduced it. After Tom gets back from L.A., they sort of have a meeting about it. And like it's like, oh, all is good. All is well there. And now we're in the film. Now we're in it. Now we know how the mafia works. So we're kind of like, where are we going to go on this journey? If you watch it for the first time, and I, again, I still remember that first time I watched it, you don't even think Michael's the main character. He's just one of the one of the guys here, right? Yeah. And and you're just sort of watching how this this family operates. And the side story is Michael and Kay in love. Like, oh, we're going Christmas shopping, you know? Oh, <laughs> let's watch a play at Radio City. Like, it's like stuff like that, you know? Like, oh, Michael, would you love me if I was a nun? Like, oh, you know? It's a rom-com. <laughs> it's a rom-com. The worst of the worst. <laughs> like, she's just like, la-di-da, Michael, you know? But... <laughs> I'm more, as a first-time watcher, theoretically intrigued with the, the, the mafia 
comings and goings here. Yeah, yeah, me too. And they have this meeting, and it's so great. The meeting between Salazzo, Vito, and the sons. Look, every scene's great in this movie, but what a great scene. Because he basically, he takes the meeting. Salazzo pitches that, like, narcotics, you know, drugs are a big deal. Tom is clearly, like, because Tom's a businessman. He's, like, he's a lawyer, but, you know, he knows business. He's, like, this is the future. Yeah, yeah. We're on top right now, but in 10 years, if we don't do this, our family might be irrelevant. You know Sonny wants in. He keeps talking about it. And the movie is telling us Sonny is a hothead, but also Sonny doesn't have a lot of morals. You know what I mean? He doesn't have any. We've already seen him cheating on his wife. His wife. Beating, beating up the photographers or the, the you know, throw, throwing people's, yeah, cameras on the ground. If you look at the entire Sonny arc, specifically in, like, the, you know, spoiler alert, the last scene of Godfather 2, he's the one who introduces his sister to Carlo. Right. And in this movie, same thing, right? He beats the shit out of Carlo because Carlo's cheating on his sister, essentially, and, and beating her. He's cheating on his wife. So, you know what I mean? So, Sonny, not a lot of morals here. Doesn't have that kind of code. But Vito quietly basically yeah. says, like, you want my friends, yet money, sure. What? You know, your generosity, why, you know? He knows exactly what he's going to say. And he makes a solid point. The politicians who I have in my pocket would not be in my pocket if my game was drugs. Who cares about gambling? Right. Who cares about this other stuff? And we're talking drugs. Again, it's not. It's narcotics. We're not talking about weed dealers here, even though it's the 70s. No, it's, it's more like a It's poppy, yeah. Yeah. Serious shit, yeah, yeah. you know? And when he says no, I think everyone watching the movie at any point is like, yes, while we know Sonny is right, we know Tom might be right, you gotta respect the Don for sticking with his morals here. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, I agree. I was actually very surprised the first time watching this movie that he says no, that that is what kicks off this whole war, basically. And... You got to admire the guy, right? But it's sort of the wrong call, you know? Like, he can't see, sort of, at this point, the repercussions of what this decision's going to be. You know what I'm saying? Like, for some reason, it's just not on his mind. I think he's more looking for a successor in Michael or something, or his. he just seems to be not as laser-focused about it. He, he's got his mind made up. And, and as far as, like, that idea that the politicians and so forth, they're not going to go along with it, well, like... Salazzo's already got cops in his pocket. Like people are already sort of going along with this and they're going to go along with it. And, you know, even eventually Michael's going to get into it. So it's just too bad, you know, that he kind of couldn't really see the future in that way. Like he did when he originally took over and became the Don and was like, I could see the future. I know exactly what to do to like craft this my way and now he's kind of lost sight of that and i never really thought about it that way before it's it's a little sad you know but um yeah it is that's that's just is what it is i guess and see the turk mentioned something similar like later it's like you know he's the dawn was slipping a little bit like he says that in a later scene there is a reading though that's more of like i think the noble reading and it's more of um sort of an old school way of thinking about things like he might know that it's a fight he's going to lose, but he's willing to fall on his sword for this. He might be willing to just like mm-hmm. die on this hill, if you will. Right. So like, I think you're right that like, he's a bit short sighted, 
and he's a bit stubborn. But there's a moral aspect of this where it's like, what do you expect him to do? His word is everything. Don Corleone doesn't screw people over. Like he, yeah, yes, he does. I mean, he's a fucking mafia boss. You know what I mean? He, he's racketeering. No, but he keeps his. But he keeps his, his word. Exactly, like his word is bond. His word yeah. is everything. And when he goes to bed at night, he doesn't feel like I'm a criminal. I kill people. He feels like I take care of my family and my people. I I step in where the government can't especially my community, my Italian-American community. Like, it might not be right, because obviously, again, people are dying here. But think back to uh, Johnny Fontaine. He's not helping him to better himself. That's his godson. So he's going to do anything for his godson. I'm thinking about Godfather 2 as well. And when we see him come up and why he becomes the Don, we see again, Vito has this code, and that's what makes a bad guy a good guy, and that's great writing. Yeah, I mean, he's much more of an anti-hero. I mean, I think we're going to see that a lot, too, in part two, where we see him as a young Vito on the streets of New York. You know, it's like he he's doling out his he's like an Avenger, right? Like he's doling out his own sense of justice and stuff. And it's intimidation. It's threats. You know, he very rarely needs to pull the trigger. But when he does, he'll do it. You know, that's kind of a last resort. He's always trying to talk it out first, but then it's like, oh, you don't want to talk about it. Okay, well, then, like, how about I put a gun to your head? You know, he's not the most tactful when it comes to options, necessarily. But, you know, he's got that great manner about him that is very calm, and he's not, he, he never loses his temper ever, in this, right? Except when he tells Johnny Fontaine he should act like a man. But I think, like we said last episode, that's a little bit more of like a role play yeah, yeah. that they were sort of each other yeah you know Vito Corleone you know it's just he's a very he is who he is you know and that's so great because we were talking about the strength of the characters in this film and and Coppola isn't trying to use him just to do stuff he wants to do in the movie he's actually like sticking this guy sticks to his his morals and his characters and stuff and it's actually going to cause a huge problem for the rest of the movie so it's good that he did because there'd be no movie if he said yes Absolutely. And this, again, what I'm calling Chapter 3, The Turk, you can't skip a scene in terms of how good this part of the movie is. After that, right, that's when he has that conversation with Luca Brasi, like, because uh, what the Tatalia family is, is the one who's backing the Turk, supposedly. So he sends Luca Brasi on this quick little scene, as, as you mentioned earlier, to kind of uh, investigate, you know, I don't know why he sounds the dumbest. Well, he, he tells him he's like he he tells him to say you you want to leave my services, you're you're fed up, and you want to come work for him, and you'll be my little inside man. <laughs> yeah, but it's like really, you're trusting the dumbest dude you have who can't even talk to you. But hey, well, Luca Brasi's his number one guy, right? Like that's his main henchman. Yeah, he might not be like super book smart or nothing, but he follows orders. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say this: too many instructions for Luca Brasi. Luca Brasi, to me, it's like punch that guy, kill that guy, toughen up <laughs> that guy. You know, get the money from that person. Not like, hey, pretend you're not happy with the family. Go in and and do your thing, right? Well, he doesn't exactly put on a convincing performance, <laughs> so. <laughs> Not to Salazzo, not to no one. Nope, he shows up. They're talking, boom. He's killed almost instantly. 
probably like a minute into the scene he's killed. And I love that about this movie. It's just going to be like, yeah, anyone can go at any time. Absolutely. And we eventually learn that he's sleeping with the fishes. They kill him. That's a beautiful moment. Yeah, that's that that comes doesn't that come after Pop gets shot, yes, yes, right? Yes. And they're they're sitting around and the fish is delivered and Sonny's like, "What the freak is this?" <laughs> so good. So good. People talk more about Luca Brasi than the Turk, which is ridiculous. He's hardly in the movie, but yeah. he's again, such a memorable performance, so we salute that. When I look at my notes, I'm like, "God, it's scene after scene at this point." Because the next scene yeah. is essentially the Don getting shot, right? They have the Don getting shot scene, which we got to talk a little more in depth. And then uh, they kidnap Tom, you know? So it's like, bing, bang, boom. They have like a whole plan. As soon as, it's almost like the Turk knew that the Don was going to say no. But he knew he had to. Oh, he probably he did. He knew he had to take yeah, out the Colleen family to, to start this drug operation. He knew that they're the strongest family. And they wouldn't let their empire thrive there. Even though the Don says our business don't conflict. You know what it conflicted at some point. And this is why the Turk is a supervillain to me. He's just like, fuck it. We're going to war. He's already, he shows up. He already got one. And low key, we find out two of the five families who are ready to yeah. do this shit. Yeah, that to me is the main thing of his like Lex Lutherness is that he's already been playing shit behind the scenes for a while now before the movie's even started, you know? And it's like, he doesn't even take an offer with the Don until he knows he can take him out if he says no. Like, incredible foresight. Incredible <laughs> it's like the foresight. Joker, right? Like, the Joker always just had, like, a car to jump into after a crime. Or, you know what I mean? Someone to take the fall It for. feels like the Turk is playing chess when everyone else is playing checkers. Right, He, yeah. he ends up not winning for, like, stupid, silly shit. <laughs> and, and we'll get into it. Well, well he, yeah, he drops his guard. He basically has checkmate. Ego, and, ego hubris. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, but he has to strut or something. Like he counted his chickens. He counted his chickens before they hatched. You know. And the first uh, like domino to fall or not fall is when he plans basically the kidnapping of Tom, but also the iconic shooting of the dawn scene where uh, Paulie, which is you know just one of the low-level henchman is supposed to be the Don's bodyguard that day. He calls out sick, and it's Fredo who's driving him around. And this is the first time I actually noticed this scene. So in the books, Mike, the book, Mike, you'll know that the Jenko Olive Oil Company is the front, right? right. They have an olive right. oil company. In the book, it's in uh, Hell's Kitchen, but they kind of depict it. The movie's being in Little Italy because at the point of this movie's release, Hell's Kitchen is not an Italian neighborhood. Regardless, they're at Jenko. They're at the Olive Oil Company, the front. And I love seeing that because we see that the Don actually still sort of works. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. He, he took the meeting with the Turk there, too. If yeah. You remember, like, they're actually, yeah, doing business, like, operating out of their front. It's so fun. <laughs> it's so fun. And in the second movie, we, we kind of, we learn who Jenko is. Right. Yeah. And then in the third one, we revisit it, you know, yeah. with Mama Scorsese. In the front <laughs> of the, on the show. <laughs> but Fredo is, is just the son that you could tell. Loves his family, loves his father. His father knows he's weak, so the jobs he gives him are sort of. Yeah, yeah, it's like busy work. He, he's, you know, he, he's his driver. Go pick up the laundry, like every anything that sort of keep him out of 
trouble out of action you and know he's so sweet when you go back to that that uh scene with the turk when they're talking he has this beautiful line when 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 sonny speaks out he's like what the Tatalia family is going to guarantee our security and he's like you know i have i have one weakness and it's a weakness for my children you can tell they're spoiled sort of you know when he puts sunny sunny yeah, yeah, in place yeah. by the way i love the line he says to sunny he goes like you're getting soft because you're playing comedy with that girl. Like you never hear people say that. Yeah, comedy. Again, he knows Sonny's bullshit. He knows Sonny's the heir, but you can tell he's not a hundred percent comfortable with Sonny's abilities at this no. point. But no, and and he definitely doesn't want Fredo to no. take over. I mean, he really wants he wants Michael. I mean, I, as much no, as he says, I don't he know if he does want, yet. Right? I think I think I I think he does deep down. You know, he's not going to take the. It's more than we're not taking a picture without my son. It's, it's, he dotes on him. Like he's a, you know, I don't know. I just, for some reason this time around, I read it more like he's kind of, he doesn't want his, he wants better for Michael, but it's inevitable. And since it's inevitable, like I want to train this kid or something. I, I'm sort of with you, but I don't think he wants Michael at all, but I think he knows Michael would be the best, you know? That's maybe what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, yeah. I think that, like, ultimately he thinks it'll be Sonny's and that he does truly believe that Michael will get out of the family and do great things. But if he had to pick between his sons who's the most, who would be the most accomplished, he knows it's Michael, but he thinks yeah. that it could be, you know, Senator Michael Corleone. Yeah, oh, but I always thought that was maybe like reverse psychology. This reading because later in the movie they have a bit of a heart to heart where he's like, you know, I never wanted this for you, but he's like, I'm good at this, Pop. Like I like doing this stuff. Like I, I take to it. I think it's more not so much reverse psychology. I think it's more hopefulness and it, it, his code coming out. Like if I yeah, do yeah. these bad things, one of my sons will be able to do these good things. You know, but. Realistically, yeah, he can redeem me exactly, but realistically, that is not the case. So ultimately, he accepts no. Michael later because he realizes Michael is the best for the job. And sort of, this is a very capitalist movie, you know. The cream rises to the top here, and, and Michael rises to the top. But back to Fredo. Oh my God, Fredo breaks my heart when. Oh, he's like, I, I love Marlon Brando too because he's like there. He's like, he literally says the line like. Hey, I'd like to buy some fruit. <laughs> really? <laughs> you like, we'll get a couple apples if you At the fruit you. stand? Do you want to buy fruit? Shocking. <laughs> what I love about this, too, is, like, he senses it before it mm -hmm. happens, you know? Like, he still, he still is a little quick, but, like, maybe it's just those gangster instincts that Fredo didn't get passed on to him because the, the Don sees them come in and tries to run to the car. And I forget how much they shoot him. They shot the oh shit God. out of Don. You know why you forget it? Fredo can't you know why you forget it? Because why? the way they shoot Sonny later makes you forget this. <laughs> That's true. It's true. Yeah. And people blow up and stuff. Oh, but, but Fredo um, coming out, but, Fredo coming out, dr dropping the fucking gun. Fumbling and just like sitting there, not even like yelling for help or like calling for an ambulance. He's just sitting there going like, pop pop you know like oh just so helpless it's heartbreaking like the shooting of the dawn and and but it also adds to kind of what you're saying his omnipotent quality the dawn right like he gets shot five times doesn't die he sort of senses what's coming it's like it really creates the dawn being this sort of demigod 
which, oh God, mm. I love. I love seeing him in that light. And again, I love how weak Fredo is and how when they find out about it, when they find out Tom's captured, Sonny just goes to war. He's sort of like, you know, Fredo gets sequestered and he's just like, we're just going to do it. And just the calmness of the Turk when he captures Tom and basically being like, the Don's dead. He was slipping. Tom, make a deal. Let's do it. As if the plan was going to go 100% correct without confirmation. And he's shocked. Shocked when he learns that it hasn't gone all according to plan. Yeah, he he's counting his chickens, man. Like that's the he doesn't even hurt. He just assumes that like he's dead, that the old man is dead and, and everything. But like that is such a that is such a uh scary scene when Tom's and I you know, I, I I'm so scared because he's you know, it's not just that he's kidnapped, like he is now kind of like a prisoner of war. It's worse, you know, like <laughs> he says he's gonna give him back, but you know, when he calls Sonny, he's like, we got Tom Hayden, uh, you know, do this, that, and the other thing, and we'll let him go or whatever. He's going to be okay. But it's like, I don't know. I just saw Luca Brazzi get get fed to the fish. So, like, the same Tom might not be in the next sequence. So, I don't know. So, I like how that air of anything can happen is really, really elevated during these next, uh, this next, like, couple sequences, this whole sort of block. Yeah, I, I don't have children. I don't know if I'll have children, but if I do, I can't wait to the moment that they watch this movie for the first time. And I hope cultural osmosis doesn't tell them what's going to happen because exactly what you're saying, it's written and set up so well for a first time watcher. It's great for a 20 time watcher, 40 time watcher like us. Right. But for a first time watcher, and you don't know if he kills, you know, Tom right there. You don't know if the Don is dead. Right. We don't know anything. Right. And the suspense is building. The suspense is building. And, and I think I said this before. I think I said this on the offer. The movie's pitching it like this is going to be Sonny's story. Like this is going to be Sonny's mm-hmm. like revenge tale. And if it was like some – and I love Goodfellas. I'm not saying that. And I love the Scorsese Mafia shit. And I love even crappy Mafia movies, right? But there are Mafia movies that this is the inciting incident, and it's just about the war that happens now. And right. It's not about that, but it's sort of pitching it that way. And, oh, it's so good. Because think about the scenes we get after this. Think about it, right? We get Sonny mad that Paulie called out. And honestly, from the looks of it, I don't know if Paulie was in on it. He might be faking it. He might not be. I think the book Mm -hmm. says that he is. I can't remember. But on on the screen, we don't really know. Sonny doesn't give a fuck. He wants him dead. Yeah. And that's what's amazing. Yeah, you send a message. Yeah, send a, even if it's not him, send a message. He should have been there, even if he was sick. Like, that was his post. Like, that's kind of his mentality of it. You know, like, how sick could he really be? Uh, you know, that kind of and thing. And you see, exactly, you see the inner workings of the mafia, how Sonny is the, the crown prince, essentially. That even though some of his, I'll even say childhood friends, right? Like, uh, in Clemenza, in Tessio, right? Like, they don't say... I should be the Don now. Eventually we get a little of that. But they say, like, you know, Sonny's in charge. Okay. Whatever Sonny okay. says goes. And you could tell that that Paulie sort of is sort of close with Clemenza. But when Sonny says kill him, he's like, okay, you know, let's do it. Yeah. And, and we get that great little segue scene of Paulie getting killed by Clemenza. 
like not Clemens himself, but like there's that thug with him. But you know, it's like, oh, let's go yeah, run yeah, an yeah. errand. And this is the famous cannoli scene, you know? Yep. Mm-hmm. Leave the gun, take the cannoli. Yeah, I got it. I got the, the pullover. I got to take a leak, right? Like that whole thing. And it's like, boom. They're just driving around. Just you like, know what they're doing? I, when I watch it, when I listen to the audio this time and didn't even watch it, I didn't realize that they're actually shopping for mattresses and looking for a place to where the mattresses should be when they go yeah. to the mattresses. They're like, yeah. Where are the mattresses? Oh, yeah, they're going to clean them. Well, you know, they're laughing about it. And they say something like, we're going to Jersey to get the mattresses something like or something. That. There's <laughs> a fart joke in there. Like, it's really low-key. Like, I don't know if you realize that they're like, was that you? No, it was him, you know? Like, it's, just like, it's great because it just it's like the modernity of the job. It's just a job, you know? Hey, we got a bunch of errands we've got to go runs. Like, let's go run some errands, you guys, and, like... Get us some mat. We need. We're going to war. We need a bunch of mattresses. Of course, we get the famous line: "Leave the gun, take the cannoli," which was famously improvised by the actor who played Clemenza. There's a lot of. Uh, there's at least two murders that take place in the car this way. There's this one, and then at the end with um, was it Carlo? Like he, he's in the uh, he, he's in the car when he gets um, choked out, and he's like, "No, Tessio." It's implied, but we see. You actually see Carlo get choked out from behind. This is kind of how they operate, which is great. Yeah. By the way, by the way, as mentioned last time, I don't have cannolis with me today, but if you are a cannoli... Oh, what happened? What happened last time? <laughs> well, they did not sit well with me. Put it that way. Uh, cannolis and me do not mix, so I don't want someone to make lactose and to tolerate cannolis for me, like lactose-safe cannolis, but if you can, that'd be great. Regardless, if you can't, if you're an authentic <laughs> cannoli baker... We are open for a cannoli sponsorship here on Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar. So reach out to us on our social media. I am at Oh My Rodriguez. You can also reach out to the Mikester wherever. If you make cannolis and you would like us to shout out your cannolis and provide us with free cannolis, we are open to that sponsorship. I'll eat one or, or, or half of one. My wife will eat the rest. Uh, Mike, you'll eat, you'll eat as many as you want to, but I'll have a couple, sure. But we, we want a cannoli sponsor on this podcast. That would be one of my greatest life accomplishments if I can have a cannoli sponsorship and you can have one too, Mike. Hey, I've got one better. If we could get Uncle Francis to sponsor us with Oh, I'm not wine, even going. That would be amazing. That would be- Are you kidding me? The amount <laughs> I spent on this wine? <laughs> it's affordable wine, and it's great for, for the price, right? Like, it's not too expensive. And it's actually like a good wine for dinner for all occasions. You see my sponsor, yeah. but but if we can get some cases for free, ooh, I'd be hawking this. I I would sell it to yeah, everyone. baby. So, yeah, that wouldn't hurt. It would not hurt. <laughs> all right, so we had that amazing scene, but it's followed by the scene where they're you know they go into the mattresses sort of thing, but the cooking scene where Clemenza is teaching Michael how to cook, and he's frying the sausage. Oh, so good. Oh, my God. Food films. We'll have to have a break uh, a breakdown <laughs> with Kyle at one point on the scene. It's a, such an amazing scene, Mike. I know, I know. I'm just talking, I'm talking, but I'm just so excited. No, it's okay. Hey, you got to put the sausage in. <laughs> I love it. It's so good. Isn't that when Kay calls, and he's like, oh, Mike, I love you. I'm going to die. <laughs> We've all kind of been there. Do you remember being a teenager, and you having a girlfriend or whenever, and like, like her yeah. calling or her saying, you know, this is before text, right? And not, be, you know, I want to yeah. be like, I love you too on the phone, like in front of your friends or in front of your family. Like, 
Yeah, you know. I just feel like more importantly, this scene it shows more that they were family. Like there's serious shit going on, but they're fucking around. They're breaking balls. They're breaking balls. They're they're they care about each other. You know, they're feeding each other. Like they're a unit. You know, they're and and that I like about all this stuff when the Don's out of the picture and they're trying to get along without them. You can actually see that they're trying to get along without them. You know, like. Uh, they're keeping it going, and everyone's stepping up, especially Mikey. Exactly, and the, I love how they don't take Michael seriously. We see even later things that they don't take Michael oh my seriously, God. dude. Even after he gets like punched in the face, they still don't oh, take. When he comes up with the oh, plan, we'll one of my favorite scenes. Oh, we'll get there. What are you gonna do? You you gonna go up and pow? You get blood all over oh. your nice Ivy League suit. So it's not pow. We'll say what he says, but oh my god. I know. I, I mean, I can't remember everything line for line. When I but... say it, you'll be like, obviously. But this leads to, of course, I don't. I don't want to jump the gun because ev- no pun intended. Every scene in the Turk saga is amazing. Mike, you're right. This might go three episodes because how fucking great this movie is. Bro, I don't care because we need the content. We should stretch this show out. Like we just did the offer. You know, like let's make the Godfather. Who cares if how many episodes we're we're getting down into it? You know, we are uh, we're, we're uh, like signed in blood. Whatever you have to do to like join yeah. the La Costa Nostra, like we're in our it. own mob right now. We're in it because <laughs> I, I look at my notes and I'm getting excited. Like we're watching the movie again. We're not like making any bold statements by saying The Godfather is an amazing film, but when you really break it down, I think like what the hell am I hosting a high school slumber party for? No movie in that <laughs> genre is as good as this movie. One scene here is as good as any movie there. Yeah. That's the problem with The Godfather is like you could literally do just a podcast on The Godfather movies and like have it last for like eight years. You know, you could talk about this movie over and over again and like go scene by scene. I mean, definitely something to study in college, like that kind of situation. So, yeah. We're going to talk Jack on here and we're going to be like, Remember, this is the same oh, director boy. as The Godfather. <laughs> oh, my God. That's almost weird because at least in Captain EO, you're like, there's a reason behind this. <laughs> like, there's sort of a clash of three enormous egos. But what was going on when Jack happened? I can't wait to find out. Maron. So. <laughs> Maron. <laughs> I'm getting into it. The hospital. I, I, I have never ranked my Godfather scenes. Michael going to the city to have that like date with Kay in the hospital uh, in the the hotel and sort of telling her like oh my god this is him like oh that's that was sad it's sad because Michael and Kay could have ran off lived in New Hampshire and have their own life you know his father probably would have approved right but Michael's like you know family I got to do this for my family sort of yeah, but there wasn't there wasn't time yet like. They had just come. They were just going to have Christmas, and then they were going to probably go to Connecticut and like live the New rest Hampshire, of their life. Mike. Whatever. And then this <laughs> incident. Ha- this incident happens. You know what I'm saying? And plans changed. So like now we can't go out to dinner and see a show. We have to stay in a hotel room under armed guards if we want to see each other. But even still, like that's something kind of people did back then. Like, oh, let's go to a fancy hotel and have dinner, right? Like, was it? 
It, it was. It seems to me like this is the only way we can see each other is if it's not out in public and it's under like heavy surveillance. Yes, yes, but it's not as weird as it would be today. Mike, think if you ask your significant other, if I, I ask my significant other, my wife, right? I'm like, hey, let's go out to eat, but let's eat in the hotel room. Like, no, I think I think Kay is extremely uncomfortable in this scene. I think they both. I think they both sort of realize how weird this is right i now. agree it's weird but you know what's even more weird he tells them i'm gonna go visit my dad in the hospital or, or you know the dawn the reason he doesn't want guards is not because of his protection he doesn't want to admit that he's having dinner with her you know because it's, it looks weak right. among these like masculine men if there's another I guess you're right yeah, he's kind of hiding also. So exactly, right, like, right? Yeah. Like, so it's, yes, he's hiding because he's going to get shot, but it's also hiding because he's hiding the fact that he's, you know, uh, sort of drawing himself to normal life with this la-di-da normal lady. <laughs> you know what's so weird? I just drew a parallel between these brothers, Sonny and Michael. This Sonny is having an affair and hiding that from his wife, and Michael is sort of having a clean affair if no, you will 100%. like he's doing nothing wrong he's just trying to date a normal woman but he can't because he'll be ridiculed by his brothers you know and yet Sonny is sort of getting not champions but like high fives if you will for like doing what he's doing yeah because you see Tom you know, he's, like, ha, ha, ha. he's like smiling like he's fucking other women hilarious you know yeah Sonny will be right in he's getting his dick wet you know oh my goodness can I just say real quick? Let me just say real quick because I just want to get it out of the way. The reason that I was expecting George Lucas to show up in the offer, and I think he did, that we spotted that little Easter egg of him, because I heard the story that he and Francis, late one night, composed, like constructed this sequence together. Like it just wasn't working, and they couldn't figure out what to really? do and why. And went through the bin of all the extra little ends and beginnings of all of the pieces of film for this. And they found the empty hallway shots of just like a couple seconds here, a couple seconds there. And when they inserted those, they suddenly like unlocked it. Like this scene is like a horror movie now. Like it works. Uh, we're getting the suspense. We're getting sort of the fear and all of that. And so like, I, I don't know if that's on the commentary or I can't quite remember where I heard that, but I'm almost positive that that is from the mouth of Francis himself at some point. So uh, I look forward to trying to verify that one day on the show, but that was the whole reason why I, thought we'd see a George Lucas on the offers because I know he was always in the edit room of this movie. And Mike, you're so right. I actually wrote in my notes this time. It's Hitchcock esque, the hospital scene. Yeah, it really it, is. It's scary. It, it's scary in a thriller kind of way. Yeah. I was very surprised. I was getting, I was getting like, like exorcist three vibes from that hospital <laughs> sequence, you know, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but, uh, just like a haunted house. Yeah. Very creepy. This is the first time I realized that there's... Not that Michael doesn't love his father, but there's potential that... Not potential. His main purpose of going into the city is having this date with Kay. Yes, he's telling her, like, you might not see me for a while, whatever. But he said to his brothers that he was seeing his father in the hospital. And that's a major reason mm -hmm. why he goes to see his father in the hospital, right? Like, he's got to go see him. Much later than he said... But if he doesn't see Kay first and goes at a different time, he might not have saved his father's life. So there's an element of fate here. There's an element of fate because yeah. this becomes his rising moment 
the rising moment is the restaurant scene, but it's the rising moment before the rising moment. Well, this is the call, basically. The call, right? yes. This is the Joseph call. Joseph Campbell. And that's I didn't when know he answered. Campbell what, what was the co-host today? No, yeah, and that's when he answers it. He answers it at the restaurant. You know, he he makes the choice that he will accept his his future, his fate. His, yeah, exactly. His it. future, his fate. <laughs> but the hospital. He goes to see his father. We all get in positions where we see parents, grandparents, people who are strong in our lives, the strongest person ever, suddenly become weak, whether it's age, hopefully not shot. You know what I mean? But but suddenly become weak with age. And and, and it's such a moment he sees his father, the strongest man he's ever known, and one of the strongest men in the city, let's be honest, become weak and become vulnerable. And he's there. But he's alarmed by the fact, too, he's like, Again, not to touch nerves, listeners, I don't want to do that, but like we've all been in moments where we've been in the hospital with people we love. And you get a, a raised sense of like, can they have water? Can they have this? Can they have that? Right? Right. But for right. Michael and his family and the life that his family lives, it's like, where are the armed guards? <laughs> you know? That's his like, <laughs> yeah. oh, give an IV, give medication. That's his like, holy shit, he's going to be killed. <laughs> it's really interesting that we say like, you know, if Michael wasn't a man of his word and didn't go see, you know, see his father, like, it's like, oh, it was kind of a lie, but like, I don't want to be known as a liar. So I should stop by there. And like, who knows, maybe someone will be there and I could, you know, maybe Sonny will be there. Maybe Fredo will be there because I told him I was going to eventually be there at some point. And then when he shows up and no one's there, no armed guards, no police, basically like no, no one, in the entire hospital, it seems. It seems like the only people in there is Vito and that one nurse that he comes across. And then the baker shows up. You know, again, talk about fate. And, and right? great writing. Like, just what? Oh, amazing writing because the footsteps and the fucking, like, suspense and all of that. And then it just turns out to be, like... It is I, the baker. I've come to pay my respects to your father. The most Mario, like like Nintendo Mario guy in the entire movie. Like if if you think Italians are so harmless, couldn't hurt like, a fly. I'm Enzo, just... the baker. And again, it's not a random guy. We know Enzo the baker from the story, from literally not the first story that's we seen, but the third conversation or second conversation that the Don has at yeah. the beginning about the the guy the man who baked his wedding cake his daughter's in love with this man and, and Vito helps him again this is not I know he can't refuse a favor but also this is just Vito being a good guy he helps him get a citizenship yeah. and now this dude is super loyal and he shows up literally like oh I heard the man who got my citizenship uh is in the hospital let me go bring him flowers, you know? A true friend. You don't, you know, like the Don says, you you ask me for this, but you don't want to be my friend. But this guy gets it. He understands. This is true friendship. It's, so good. it's a different it's level. So oh. You know? And, <laughs> and when he shows up, he says, I am Enzo, the baker. And Michael essentially drafts him. And originally he's like, Something, oh, something's bad is going to go down. You don't necessarily want to be here for this. Here's the thing you learn about Michael so quickly in this situation is that he's been to war, okay? Like he war, has, real war, World in, War II. He's a hero. He, yes, yes. Fight, fighting Nazis uh, in the trenches or whatever and shit. Where was he? He's a marine. This is what they don't. This is oh, what they don't right. reveal. Most likely, he That's was right. in like you know on Guadalcanal or something. 
in, in the Pacific. Right. And that's even like I'm not oh, I'm not comparing both fronts, but like No, no, but that that's like Wind Talkers with Nick Cage. Like that's where he was in that movie. The they were out in the shit. Pacific. It's crazy. That was crazier, I think. I, again, possibly, I wasn't there. But... I don't know, but Mike, you're right in a sense. Uh, there's a, something that I, I I love the Pacific War. Love meaning like I didn't love that it happened, but like I like studying it. Yeah. The veterans of Europe talk about liberating concentration camps and they talk about the glory and you know the fallen brothers sure forming the beach but, but yeah, there yeah. was a clear cut where good guys bad guys there in the pacific you were on an island that nobody lived on for months yeah fighting every day it was insane right like it was like yeah yeah watch wind talkers john woo does not shy away from violence in any of his films and it is shocking like it is one of the most shocking war films I've seen, like from from the first frame. So just but or the Pacific, the miniseries, like the companion piece of Band of Brothers. Oh right? yeah. So like Michael, he's hardened, and he's again, he's a war hero. He's not just someone who went to war. You notice in this scene, the cop who sees him recognizes him as a hero. He doesn't just say this yeah. guy went to war. He's like. This guy has been in the newspaper, and and Michael has medals, probably right. So, Michael yeah. has been on the craziest front lines in the history of the world up to this point in the South Pacific, day and night, just like fighting his ass off, coming up with plans just like that, right? Because you don't survive out there unless you you have the wit to be like, let me do this, let me do that, let me do this, let me do that, right? Like if you just a foot soldier, yeah, 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 there's a good chance you're gonna die. And in, I know where you're going at with this. Instantly, <laughs> it clicks what he has to do yep. to save his father's life. And it's just brilliant. He's got the instincts. And and it's not like it's some kind of manufactured situation that the movie just needs him to show us how smart he is or anything. Like, this has been building, you know? Like, like the movie has sort of, like, pushed him into a corner. But, like, every once in a while said, like, we should look out for him or whatever. People, other people are, like, having ideas, but they're not good ideas. And, like, bad things are happening. And, like, here he comes. And, like, within a minute, he can tell what to do, what's happening, what's coming. Like, he can just send – he has, this, like, a sixth sense about it um, because, you know, of his experience. He has experience. And war is war, whether it's – on an island in the Pacific or on an island in New York. Okay. <laughs> like there are battle plans. There's all kinds of shit. Like I just feel like he has suddenly, you know, just switched over into war mode and survival mode basically. Okay. And he's an animal that knows how to survive the way he drafts Enzo is beautiful. You know, just like using him as like a decoy essentially, Perfect. Because if you're on the battlefront, right, you don't get to pick and choose who the person next to you is. You just go like, you, come here. Let's do this. Yeah, yeah. It's insane. And it's, again, this is Michael at war. We'll see him at war later in more serious means. But this is battlefield Michael kicking ass. And this is a weird thing I had. But let's go into our whole, like, again, we need a sound effect for this little dreamscape. Paramount Plus potential shows. Godfather spinoffs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Paramount Plus potential spinoffs. Are you talking Michael in the Pacific? I literally was watching the movie. I'm like, <laughs> fuck. I know no one would watch it. I know people would say it's absurd. Michael in the Pacific? Like a Michael, Michael Corleone oh. war epic? Oh, my God. I want it. Oh. That's all I want right oh. now. Like, I don't even want more of the mob stuff going forward. Like, like fill in all the gaps. Oh, my God. That's 
beautiful. You know, in Saving Private Ryan, um, which I know you've covered on your your Hanks show. Hanks for the memories, yeah. Where they're like, what does he do? What did he do back home, right? Like, and he was a teacher. I imagine, like, Mike, Michael <laughs> is in this platoon, and they're like, what did you do back home? And, like, someone figured out, like, wait, your dad is Vito Colleone? Like, the the yeah. mafia guy? Like, I wouldn't... Like, how... What are you doing here? Kind of thing, you know? So, like, I could just imagine, again, an epic miniseries or even a film of, like... It's, Michael didn't even have to be the star, right? It's just, like, a Pacific War thriller, sort yeah. of, like, a th- war movie where Michael is one of the guys and he, he performs heroically and... Uh, Oh. Yeah, it's sort of like um, one of the Inglorious Bastards, right? Like you do, you do it sort of like that, but in the Pacific, where it's like uh, he's one of several in in the little group, or, or then they have to go on like this mission. I don't know, but I I would watch him just like I would watch like a whole, you know, I would at least watch eight episodes of him in the army, you know, going from enlistment to getting out, and then the last shot could be him, you know picking up K to go to the wedding as the last shot of the series. In uniform. Oh, I love it. Paramount Plus, if you're listening, we can be the showrunners. We can do this. I promise you. Oh. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll go watch like all the war Yeah, like, like, like old school. It's like Torah, 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 you know, like real. Like, <laughs> from here to eternity, oh, no. just everything. Ooh, connection there. <laughs> so, uh, we, we keep like alluding to how much we love the hospital scene. In the hospital scene, him having en- you know Enzo outside as as guard until I love when he makes that phone call home and he's like basically like Sonny Tom I've heard he's talking to nobody's here and they're like we'll send someone right over just sort of hold the fort and he's like it's him and a Italian baker holding the fort and by the way it's it, it, it's a very Alamo sort of kind of reference I might have mentioned it last time or maybe I said it to you off air that that actor who played Enzo. He was an amateur. Yes, yes. I think we, yeah, yeah. So just to reiterate, he never acted before, and the first scene he ever acted in was the outside scene. They shot the outside before the inside of the hospital. Mm-hmm. And when the thugs, Salazzo's thugs, pass by, looking to probably shoot Vito, and they see that Michael and Michael tells him, "Put your hand in your coat to look like you have a gun." Yes. Yeah. My. And he's yeah. so scared, and he has the cigarettes, and he's shaking. Apparently the lighter, the lighter, and apparently that wasn't written in the movie that he just like had never acted before, and that was literally the first scene they shot, and he was so nervous, and then they decided to put it in the film because he's just like similar to the Luca Brasi thing, like it was just an amateur. Yeah, yeah, similar to the cat. I mean, there's a lot of serendipity going on on the set of this movie. You know, things like that. You know, my first shot in a major motion picture, I'm nervous as hell, and like. That's the one Coppola decides to use, you know, because he's like, I couldn't, I couldn't direct that any better. It's the real thing. So moving on, you know, it's terrific. I love that. And if you think about this Enzo character, I know he's such a silly character, but not silly, but just like, again, when you rank Godfather characters, probably not in your top 20, but he basically says, I'll do anything for your father, Michael, because he got me in the country. He's not necessarily thinking would I take a bullet for this guy? You know, no. like he's all in at this point. He no. has to. And it, he's like, oh. so do you think, do you think his favor has been repaid at this point? You 100%. know, Again, when Michael eventually becomes a Don, you know, he's been uh, repaid. And by the way, side note, I know we don't want to like talk about Godfather two or Godfather three, but I don't know if you remember Mike, 
Enzo appears in the Godfather Three, and he makes a cake at the big celebration. Yeah, for the, uh, the christening, the, not the christening. Or the baptism, it is the christening. Yeah. No, it's it, no. Oh, the medal. He he's older. Medal. So I think it's a medal. No, isn't that in the third one? He gets the medal. In the second one, it is. It is. No, but uh, Enzo is in the third. I don't one. Want to say- he present, he oh, presents. Oh right! Like oh, that's cake. right. He brings the cake. Not a not right. A I remember telephone, Mark. <laughs> Can't wait to get back to three. Oh, I can't wait. Um, <laughs> oh man! So this hospital scene's so good, but we didn't even it's like the crux of this hospital scene. Scene when Sterling Hayden shows up as the cop and just basically is oh, like, "So good." I thought I got. I'm, I don't want to use racial slurs here, but he's like, "I thought I got rid of you guys." You know, earlier, like, oh, and then Michael gets smacked in the face. There's no way, by the way, well, that this guy knew yeah. that that was the Don's son. He thought he was just like some common thug, you know? Oh, yeah. But again, like, shouldn't he have recognized him? I mean, maybe not. I don't know. But what I love about this sequence is that Sterling Hayden is just the ultimate beat cop who's like seen it all, you know? Like, you just get such a history from him as soon as he steps into frame and the way he's playing this character like after this i feel like people in movies play this version of a cop when they play a cop a lot of the time uh for like years to come but he's so imposing and they feel like a gang you know like he's got the other cops around him they're surrounding michael because they are a gang they're taking mafia yeah they are they are true that too yeah and then he doesn't just slap Michael. He breaks his fucking jaw. Like he punches him as hard as he can in the fucking face and pretty much knocks him out. And and it, if if sort of his backup didn't arrive immediately at that point, you know, who's to say if they weren't just going to shoot him or something after that? 100%, right? 100%. And it also shows that Mike is tough as hell. Tough like as he could take hell. that punch from that dude, from you know that cop is probably like one punched out like tons of people during his beat walks and stuff like that. So like he's probably shocked that Mikey uh, is still conscious. Because once you've been to war, you're gonna feel like is anything as a civilian as hard as that? You know, like it, I'd be interested yeah. to see what Michael would have become if World War Two didn't break out, right? Like if let's say there's no war, like does he just go to college? be a normal dude and maybe he is senator or governor who knows right i i think he makes it there but you can't sort of fight your nature at some point i think it would come out eventually and he'd start to kind of be corrupt or corrupt the system at the very least his father's past would haunt him we know this or would it right like okay so we keep doing this and i feel bad if we ever get popular, there's going to be a shot game of Ryan talking about what hypothetical Godfather spinoffs or movies there would be. So one of the <laughs> plot lines of the theoretical Godfather 4 sequel, there was going to be this Irish-American family and an Irish-American Don, if you will, who had sons that he wanted to promote as well. And guess who it was based on? The Kennedy family. Because Joe Kennedy, the patriarch, was a bootlegger. And he wanted his first son to be president, but he died in war. So JFK ended up being the president. And he, uh, Joe Kennedy is a Don. uh, He's Irish, so they don't call him mafia. But he's mafia, essentially, right? So 
As silly, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, as yeah. silly as we think the fact that Michael could be senator or governor, it actually happened Look in American JFK. history. Exactly. That's a good point. That's a that's a fabulous point. Yeah, you know, maybe we do sort of a Kennedy episode one day and delve into more of the influences of the Godfather or something like that. You know, maybe not a full episode, but like no. a whole lot Judging of... Judging by how like, we talk, from every- it'll be three episodes. <laughs> So I'm going to hold up a sign right now because this might be the ultimate Godfather spinoff series. Are you ready? It says, The Turk, a Godfather tale. <laughs> <laughs> you see him, you know, before he comes over, growing the poppy, then he uh, gets arrested and does his little stint in, in prison. And then it ends with him trying to talk to uh, Vito Corleone and being like, I'll be right back. I got a meeting with the Don and then credits. So look, it's been evident to me that this episode is going to be about the Turk saga and we could bring it home in a third episode because Michael in Italy, we got to talk about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh so, yeah. So we'll oh, get yeah. there. So let's get to Michael's ascension. Like, what did you call it? Like the Joseph Campbell moment, like the answer of the call. Yeah, yeah. He answers the call. Basically, you know, Michael gets punched. He's hurt. They have a meeting about it. Sonny goes ballistic when he hears that Michael was hit like that, like uh, that was happening. He hits, uh, the I think, Natalia's son. He's shooting people mm-hmm. here and there. It's like, yeah, tit for tat. Tit for tat. Everything's going on. And they have this meeting. And they're like, what do we do now? And Michael comes up with actually a really great plan. Like they're like, you can't kill a cop, but Michael's like, this is a corrupt cop. We have people in the newspapers. Here's the plan. If he wants to be with <laughs> me, right? Cause he thinks I'm just like a neutral guy. If we meet somewhere neutral, everything's fine. I come up and I kill, I kill uh, Salazzo and McCluskey. And McCluskey yeah. yeah. And basically, cause uh, Tom says you kill Salazzo the war's pretty much over, right? Because, like, he's the one pushing this. When Michael says this plan, there's, like, a pause, and everyone laughs at him, like, Michael, you can't kill anyone. Well, yeah, I think it's, like, they're shocked. Yeah, because he's not that, you know, he's not like, a, to their, in their mind, he's just a decent guy. But, but that's the thing, is, like, he's, he's not what they think he is, you know? Like, they have this certain idea of their little brother Mikey, this and that, or whatever, and let's, like, you guys didn't go just what he just went through. Like he's seen horrors. Like he's got nightmares, PTSD, all kinds of things. He's probably looking for this outlet, you know, like to come up with this idea. It takes a twisted mind to be like, we're just going to kill the cop. We're going to kill him. We're going to kill them both. Like, it's just that simple. And they're like, it's not that simple. And he's like, well, actually, like, like you said, he's like, we got a newspaper guy. We'll plan all these stories. We'll make it like he's a crooked cop. We'll expose him, all this stuff. Like, we'll use our resources. And they're like, who the fuck is this guy? You know, like, one minute I thought it was my brother Mikey. And all of a sudden he's like, you know, this sociopath. And then uh, what I didn't want to say before is that Sonny goes, what are you going to do? You're going to blow his brains up? Bada bing on your Ivy League suit. And Bada Bing, of course, it, that's it. Bada Bing, the strip club and the Sopranos, and an allusion to this scene. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> but my favorite, I think, my favorite part. This is the scene with the slow zoom, uh, where he's talking about his plan, and they just sort of zoom in on his face very slowly, if I'm not mistaken. And I think they that was a, a new zoom lens really? that they just like 
developed for that. It might have even been like a Kubrick sort of carryover, something he probably invented that they discovered. But that is not a dolly. And from what I understand, when he's talking, they're zooming in on him. Um, and it just creates more of sort of like a like a flat, like claustrophobic impression as opposed to like depth. You know, it just sort of flattens the image. So it just draws all the focus and attention on on him more without just subconsciously i guess it's so, beautiful it's I, I always love that shot because it was so long and so slow and so just filled with that was the whole point you know is like pay attention to what he's saying like he's got the plan and again mike capitalism the cream rises to the top tom might be one of the more capitalist characters in this film because as much as he loves michael and he loves him as a younger brother he realizes that Michael's plan is probably the best plan. He's, he's sort of like, you know, that might actually work. And they're like, fuck it. Let's do it. But Sonny, as much as a hot head he is, he's like, we're going to do things right. You know, he has Clemenza teach him what to do with the gun. He's like, the gun better be there. What an iconic gun. I'm wearing the shirt for like Louis restaurant <laughs> here. I love how Sonny is able to figure out where the meeting's going to be. The whole thing with like, oh, every police captain has to report where he's going to be. They find out that it's at this little Italian restaurant in the Bronx. They plant the gun. Everyone's involved. They're like, if the gun's like the old toilet with the with the tank on top. Yeah, yeah. Tessio's like, they got the old type of toilet with the chain. You can put it back there. Yeah, you know, it's interesting about Sonny. Like, he's a great delegator. Right. But he's not the like he's not really a leader like he feels he probably feels like he's a leader right now because he's barking orders at everybody. But it's Mikey's plan. He came up with the plan like he's he's really the leader and he's going to be the guy who actually executes the main part of the plan, too. You know, he's going to actually pull the trigger. So it's fun to see like how Sonny doesn't fuck up when he's not in charge, you know, but like. He wants everything to go perfect for his brother. So, like, he's going to make sure that, like, he, he like, controls himself and, and everything goes according to plan this time. And so you're right. Like, he bounces into action. And you're like, wow, he's actually competent on a certain level that, that we haven't seen yet. There's this whole thing and about, like, wartime and peacetime, right? These things got to happen every 10 years or so, well, Mikey. Great. You got to. You gotta... <laughs> but there's this quote attributed to Lincoln, but it's not a Lincoln quote. Actually, it's only because it was in the Spielberg Lincoln film. And I forgot what it says exactly, but it's like, essentially, I'll boil it down to, if you believe in fate, are people uh, assigned to the times where they're needed or do they just happen to be there, right? Mm. Lincoln gets elected and he ends up being a great president for the Civil War. But if it was a shitty president, there might be a Confederate country, right? You have someone like Theodore Roosevelt, who, in my mind, a great president, but he might be the greatest president of all time if he's a president during a major war. He's president during peacetime. I bring this up because Sonny is actually probably a great wartime Don, but could you imagine him in peacetime? Everything would fall apart, you know? Yeah. He doesn't see, he can't be that way. Like, he doesn't settle. Like, it just feels like things always have to be happening. And, like, he doesn't want peace. You know, it's boring to him. This is action. This is exciting. If Sonny's a drug, he's cocaine. You know, he's just like... (laughs) Yeah. Definitely. One hell of a drug. (laughs) Like, Sonny is not dumb. 
Sonny could probably be the Don if he can control his temper and if he could think logically, because he's not a dumb person. When things are brought to him that are logical, fine, but like he gets too emotional. There are deals that he could make that could end that war. But he's like, no, fuck them. You know? <laughs> but Michael's plan makes sense. They go along with it. And we're talking so much about this. We're getting so in-depth. Let's end this episode with the iconic restaurant scene. Definitely. Good point. Good place. Good place to do that. It ends the whole Turk saga. They agree that Michael's going to do this, which is like shocking. And again, the Don is essentially in a coma. If he heard this, he'd be like, no, Michael's definitely not doing this. You know, he wouldn't support this. But it, totally. it really is a smart plan. It's their best shot. The Turk and McClutsky agree to meet at this restaurant to negotiate. The gun is behind that toilet tank. And Clemenza is telling us the steps on what to do here, telling Michael, but also telling us, grab the gun. When you shoot them, make sure you shoot them clean. Make sure you shoot them in the head. Drop the gun right away and go. Michael goes. He's talking. And I love how we have McCluskey, a non-Italian. And, and the, oh, the Turk the decides to talk in Italian. And Michael talking back to him in Italian. And they're having a conversation. But Michael's a little reluctant. Like, And they're trying to negotiate. It's just so beautiful. This scene is so beautiful. I love the moment where he turns to McCluskey and he goes, I'm going to talk to Mike in Italian now. <laughs> and then they just talk in Italian. Like he had to inform, you I know, the guy. And he's like, I do too. No, like that is a very sort of like small thing that's very important. It's it's all pageantry, you know. They're they're on their best behavior. They're showing as much mutual respect and and being as polite as possible and so that extends to everybody even this asshole fucking cop who can't spell respect let alone show it but the turk is showing michael how he wants to treat everybody right and so he asks this guy basically tells asks the cop for his permission to not listen in like we're going to talk so you don't understand what we're saying and do business and stuff it's a very interesting move it's a head game. It's a head game for sure. And honestly, at, from, you know, my father's an immigrant. All my grandparents are immigrants or were. I totally get that, you know, being in like sort of a bilingual family. When you're talking business among your people, you sort of talk in a different language. And I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, whatever. But even though McCluskey's on his side, Michael's still his people. So Lotso doesn't go right. into that meeting thinking Michael's going to kill him. He does, it's the last thing he thinks is going to happen. Yeah, he thinks he's won. He dropped his guard. You know, when they're driving to the meeting and they're almost going to Jersey and they do that U-turn, right? Like, so Lotso thinks he's on right. top of the world at this point. He just thinks he's going to talk to Michael and maybe cut a deal here. And it's all part of the plan. And when Michael is, you know, sort of doesn't comply and he's just looking to this, this Italian... And eventually he goes to the bathroom. He asks permission, which is key. Again, we talk about this in the offer, but searching for the gun. He grabs the gun. He comes back in. And he doesn't shoot them right away. If you remember, Clemenza tells him, shoot them right away. But instead, Michael sits down sort of and listens to like what he's saying. Yeah. He's like, waiting, waiting, waiting. Boom. Shoots them. They have that shot of McCluskey. He's like... You know, really dying because like Michael doesn't get the shots exactly. And you know, he could if he wanted to, 
He shoots McCluskey in the yeah. throat first. He's a marksman, but yeah. he's nervous. But this movie could be, to me, boiled down in the fact that he shot the main villain, he shot the main henchman, and Clemenza tells him to drop the gun right away, and he doesn't drop the gun right away. He's walking out, and seriously, Hitchcock-esque. You're like, oh my god, he's holding the gun. And it's maybe, what, three You're like, drop it, drop it. Five seconds? <laughs> yeah, We're yeah. rooting like it's a minute of him saying, drop the gun, drop the gun. It feels like sports to me. You're like, no, no, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it, you know? <laughs> oh my god, it's so good. And he walks out, and at that moment, I, I'm sorry that I'm narrating The Godfather, but I fucking love this film. And at that moment, <laughs> he's crossed over. He's answered the call. There's no turning back from this. Yeah. You even hear, like, the the horns, you know, like the, the fanfare <laughs> of the Godfather. That's a great, it is like, fanfare. Playing. Yeah, a little bit. And, uh, you know, almost like, like a ceremonial kind of like, you know, when they, like a bugle call or something like that. I don't know. As if to say, like, yeah, it's done. Like, he rang the bell. I mean, just such a such an incredibly tense sequence. Again, it feels very much like a horror film to me. And that makes sense. You know, the mafia is very scary and they're dealing with murder and all that kind of stuff. And there's just but I had forgotten how anxiety fueled this film and this sequence is. I love the whole idea. Just to quickly go back to talking in Italian, like, you know, not just not just that, like they're talking between themselves as a people or well and McCluskey's an outsider and everything but like you're saying like business is sort of another language it's just a very nice shorthand to be like you know these are matters that are separate important whatever we're putting a certain emphasis on this and and we're trying to deal with this feud and all that kind of stuff so it's kind of nice that like even to us they're speaking another language because they're dealing in another like reality I can't even really you know, entirely put my finger on, you know? So it's like, it's still alien and foreign to me in the sense that the mob, the world of the mafia, you know, like as an outsider and everything. So like as an audience member, it's interesting too, to be like, yeah, I can't understand what the hell they're saying. Uh, like, Mike, you'll notice that there's some Italian they subtitle in the movie and there's some they don't. And yes. the conversations here, they don't. Like if you don't know right. a lick of Italian or Spanish or any romance language, you don't know nothing. Yeah. You don't know what they're saying here. And that's brilliant because, like, we're also removed from this conversation. Yes. Yes. We're not important enough to, you know. Be in the know here. It's not for our ears. But yeah. also, Michael <laughs> also is removing himself from the conversation because he's not listening to a lick of what Salazzo's saying. He's just thinking, when do I shoot him? Do I still shoot him? Yeah. What yeah. will happen if I don't shoot You're him? Right. If I do. And he does. And he takes time to drop the gun. And he leaves, and suddenly, we ha we have our real Don. We have our real antihero for the rest of the entire series of The Godfather. <laughs> Honestly, one can say that everything we've talked about has been a what's the opposite of a coda? Uh, overture yeah. or a prelude? A prelude, yeah. One could say that everything to this point has been a prelude to the real Godfather yeah. series. Don Corleone, yeah. Vito, is not the godfather. Michael is, and he becomes the godfather. Not officially, but essentially he cross over from good to evil at this point, even though, again, we don't want these characters to live, but moralistically, 
He's no longer with a rifle out in the Pacific shooting the enemy. He he is making the most illegal crime you can do in the, the civilian world. He's murdering <laughs> and killing but for his family. Yep. And suddenly, I don't know how long we've been in, maybe an hour, maybe more. I didn't take the time thing. It's all a prelude to what's going to happen next. And I think a great way to end part two of our three-part Godfather <laughs> one. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself. I love that. Very cool. Yeah. Pre- prelude to the Godfather conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> so well, let, let's bring you home quick here because, I again, I can't wait to finish this film. I thought yeah. we were finishing tonight, but once we got into the Turk saga, I'm like, you know, we got a deep dive. We can't brush this. So you can follow the show on Instagram at Uncle Versus Wine Cellar. That is our social media. But personally, you can follow me on Twitter at Oh My Rodriguez. And you can follow Mike at The Mikester Everywhere. He's got a million shows, but he'll update you there. Also, just go on kclub.me, see what shows Mike is on and what I'm on, and follow those. And Mike, anything you want to say quick before yeah. we, we, we go? Because. We're back at it anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, well, just about the website. I think you could literally go to cageclub.me and search my name and see every show and everything that I'm on. And same for you. So if I'm not mistaken, you can just search our names and everything might come up. Or, you know, just go and look at shows and uh, seek us out where you can find us. So, yeah. So aside from that, I very much look forward to talking more about the first Godfather film. What a good movie. And again, I know it's the most obvious statement ever said, but holy shit. Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I second that. So, Mike, maybe next time we'll have them. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll get sponsored. But you want to end this show properly? Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. This is the end. Beautiful friend. This is the end. My only friend, the end of our elaborate plans, the end of everything that stands, the end, no safe.